Lord, with, uh, without you, we are nothing. And, uh, Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you for your work in our hearts and our lives, Lord. And we pray for this evening tonight, Lord, our hearts would be open. We would have faith to believe the things that you want us to do. And, Lord, and if there's someone in our midst tonight even that's thinking about an orphan or thinking about adoption or foster care or these things, Lord, that you would, they would not be able to escape the burden of that, Lord, if it's your will. We pray that you work through that and work, work innocent through us for your son's glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We're uh, Mike and Christy Brockman. Uh, we've been a part of the Summit family since uh, 2010. Our oldest son is Wyatt. Uh, he's nine years old. Eli is seven and Max is five. I think um, it kind of all started um, when we were in school, in college. My degree was Child and Family Studies. And then when I really got in the field, I met a lot of kids in my classroom that I just saw being tossed around the foster care system. Um, I got really close to the children and the foster families as well as the birth families. And so I really started getting, I just my heart being pulled towards just foster, really not so much even adoption, it was foster care at that point. After we got married, I started praying. God would just put this pull on Mike's heart as well and that when I did bring it up to him, it was something he was accepting of. Um, over time, we just kind of started getting on the same page as far as just a passion towards the fatherless. And um, I remember our first Sunday at Summit mm -hmm. was Adoption Sunday mm -hmm. back in 2010. And Christy and I just both looked at each other we knew that this was gonna be the church that we were at forever. I just saw a church rally around these people who had this calling, praying for each other. And not only that, they weren't just praying for um, families that were adopting and fostering. You walk into Summit Kids and you couldn't tell which kid went to which family. And that was the type of environment we wanted to raise our children in. We found our support system there. We would go see one of our foster kids and we would leave all three of our boys with our mission community members because we don't we didn't have family down here at the time so they're I mean they're they are our family so seeing where families struggle to provide a safe environment for these children, you know, and, and your goal uh, most of the time is to reunite these children with their family. Um, so there's a lot of flesh struggle in that, and wanting to uh, wanting to take control, and not just trusting in in God and His sovereignty and His plan. All of us through the foster and care and adoption situations that we were in. They changed all of us through that refining fire. It was, it was sanctification. I mean, it broke me in a way where I tried to take on these attributes of God where I'm like all-knowing and all-powerful and I just want to change these kids' hearts or their families' hearts, um, but I've never felt more out of control. So along with it being one of the greatest trials, it was also one of the biggest blessings because it just drew us closer to Christ and seeing the gospel through a lens that 
we would not have experienced if it hadn't been for foster care. I'd say the best thing that came out of foster care for us was, you know, we adopted a son out of it. You know, we picked up Eli when he was 10 weeks old from the NICU. The goal for the first year and a half was reunification. You know, I rock him to sleep every night telling him this is not my son, this is God's child, and my role in this life is to foster Christ's love in him, not necessarily keep all that for myself. So um, it's such a blessing to be able to experience um, dying to yourself like that. I mean, it just is God's glory at its finest. But we thought we were going to have to give Eli up, so we found out on a Monday that we were adopting Eli, and then on a, the Wednesday that we were pregnant with Max. So it was a twofer, and <laughs> oh, they are double trouble. So that is. But I can't imagine. I can't, like Eli and Max are best friends. Mm -hmm. They do everything together. Our community group has been just rock solid for us. I mean, there's so much back and forth. One day you're thinking you're taking home a baby, so you get everything set up for a baby, and um, then that falls through, or there's a failed adoption for a 15-year-old that we were supposed to have, and our community group. Stepped up in a big way. We got two girls a week before Christmas. I mean, we had gifts coming in, multiple people every day bringing gifts for these girls, and it was, it was amazing to just see God's people step up like that. Um, there are a lot of ways that uh, those that may not be called to actually bring children into their home and foster and adopt can still support families that are called to do that. You can go through training with DHR to be a respite. Another way you can help is uh, provide school supplies. Anything like that before you know, school starts. I know there's tons of foster kids out there that need backpacks. And um, Angel Tree is another big one at Christmas. Another thing is if you adopt a child and they come to your home, you know, a lot of times, you know, at the beginning there's like a honeymoon phase. You know, everything's going well and everything like that. But you know, after after some time, it can become uh, you know new challenges arise. So press into them. Um, make sure that all their needs are are being met, uh, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, anything like that. If, if anybody is considering fostering adoption, I know it's a huge leap of faith. Um, it's obedience that I think terrifies people to their core and for good reason. Um, it doesn't always look how you would have perceived it. There are some situations where you know, we had failed adoptions that were devastating, um, where so far we haven't seen this really happy ending. But through this process and through foster and adoption, I think it's helped me focus more on um, our eternal inheritance and building his kingdom um, for future glory. Welcome. Um, we're glad you're all here tonight. Uh, first of all, we just wanted to say welcome and thank you for being a part of this Orphan Care Interest Meeting. Our prayer for you all is that this is a valuable time, an inspiring time, 
and an informative time. And so thank you all for being here. Just quickly to kind of set up the night, and we'll move into the different speakers we have. The reason we're here is to talk about this because we believe it's an issue of justice. Um, As followers of Jesus and his kingdom, we are called to bring the way his kingdom works to bear on the world around us. And so if there are areas around us um, where society does not line up with God's kingdom, that would be the definition of injustice. And I want to make clear that his kingdom is one where no child is left without a family. And so our heart for that is that this would become a reality in our neighborhoods all the way to the ends of the earth. And we know that that doesn't happen fully until Jesus returns, but we are called to be a part of that reality now. So our prayer is that his kingdom would come here in Limestone County as it is in heaven now. And so... um, this isn't a problem in theory. This is a real and present need. I mean, I think you're going to hear that tonight. Just in the conversations leading up to this, I've been challenged at how real and present this is right in our backyards and in our neighborhoods. This isn't a distant problem. And so we want to attack this injustice, this problem with the gospel and with obeying the gospel. And so everything you hear tonight is about meeting the need. And what I want you to hear is that we all play different roles. I think you'll see that tonight. Um, That could be adoption, foster care, it could be support, but we all play a role. We're all in the same team and we want to be a part of this and have this holistic heart for justice. We also, I mean, we're asking the question, what does it look like 50 years from now to only have 20-something kids in foster care in Limestone County instead of 90-something because we're talking about societies changing and communities changing because of the gospel. And so I want to say thank you all for being here because that means that you care about that or you would not be here. So I think it'd be helpful if I give you a quick overview of the night from here on out, um, and then we'll kind of move into a couple announcements and we'll start with our first speaker. So first, we're going to kind of have a 15-minute session talking about um, adoption and some opportunities for that within the state of Alabama. Um, And then we're going to move from that to 15 minutes about foster care here locally in Limestone County and hear from that. And then about 12 to 15 minutes just on how can you support, maybe you're not called to um, enter into foster care or adoption, but you desire to support those that are. And how can you better learn how to do that? And we're going to talk about that. And then we'll close tonight. Um, with a 30-minute Q&A, and so we'll have everybody who speaks will have the opportunity to sit up here on a panel, Um, and so we're going to have a question and answer, and that's what this is here. So throughout the event, you can do this. If you have questions that you already know you came here uh, to hear answered, um, you can text these in. We'll kind of filter through them, kind of combine the same questions, but that number, 256-783-0129, we'll keep that on the screen um, throughout a lot of the events, so you'll see that. You will be able to stand and ask questions, but this might be more efficient to text them in. And so we'll do our best to get to every question. If not, we do have tables in the back where those that speak will be back there afterwards and be able to answer questions maybe that are more personal or that you want the opportunity to ask and they weren't able to be answered during this time. We want to honor your time. And so we encourage you. We, we, we talk about having next steps. We don't want you to just be inspired. We want you to be able to walk in obedience. And so we want to walk with you. I know that these organizations that are here, that is their heart to equip and empower parents and foster children. And so That's the heart behind all this. Um, We also have some things out in the main hall, the heart gallery, which first time I saw that, I was like the YMCA, and there's this heart gallery with kids that are in waiting for adoption, and I'm sitting there like bawling my eyes out. It was amazing. And so go just look at those pictures and read those stories on your way out. We'd love for you to do that. Um, Rachel, if you want to start making your way up here, 
I'm going to introduce our first speaker, and then I'm going to give it over to her, and she's going to take over for a little bit. Um, whoops, sorry, that's probably walking underneath the speakers. Uh, Rachel Roberts, um, she is a licensed master social worker. She's been with Children's Aid Society of Alabama, which is what APAC is a program of, and so she works closely with adoption and foster care. She supports resource families. She's currently the pre-adoption team leader with Children's Aid Society of Alabama, and she's going to talk to us for a few minutes about some opportunities with adoption. So thank you, Rachel. Y'all can give her a hand. Thank you, Joel. Thank you. Good evening. How is everyone? Wonderful. Um, we feel so um, peaceful and inspired and just at home here. Um, this is part of my team sitting back here and my supervisors there as well. I pray wave at them. Um, as Joel said, I'm Rachel Roberts. I work for Children's Aid Society of Alabama. We are a nonprofit that is based in Birmingham, but we're statewide. Um, you saw the video, you've, you've heard um, some scripture and some song tonight. Um, so I'm not up here to convince you to foster or adopt. That's not my job. Um, I'm here to explain a little bit about how my role and your role, and you're beginning to understand if that's your role or not, intersect. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my personal story, how I came to be in this field. Um, and I didn't really realize it until I was grown. My dad and his sister were in foster care for a long time when they were growing up. Um, they were in a group home close to Montgomery. And um, when I was about eight years old, we visited that group home, and that was kind of my introduction to what foster care was. Um, I didn't understand anything about it or had even heard about it before then. Um, my great-grandmother, so my dad's grandmother later adopted them. So um, I come from a family where foster care and adoption was important. Um, that led me into foster care and adoption work, and it led me to Children's Aid Society. A little bit about Children's Aid. We were started in 1912, and the very first thing Children's Aid ever did was place children for adoption. Now, we don't do that anymore. We don't directly place children. We support adoptive families in other ways, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. We placed children for adoption so long, um, up until the late 80s, early 90s, um, we had at one point um, social workers who were adult adoptees of the agency who had come and then worked at the agency that facilitated their adoption. So I say all that to say the agency itself is steeped in adoption expertise and adoption tradition. Social workers came way, way before us, um, and so they've taught us for generations about this. We have a lot of other programs that support families in different ways. We are a firm believer in birth-parent connections. We have whole programs that are related to reunification and preservation. Um, so we're not um, adoption or bust. Uh, we want to see families be successful um, in the best ways that they can. We, that's our Family Partners program. We have a program called EPIC where we teach parenting classes in English and in Spanish. And we have a really cool federal program called Project Independence. We have a block of apartments a few um, miles away from our office. And we have a, um, in those apartments, young ladies who are parenting or pregnant can live up to 18 months. And we teach them how to adopt. Um, we teach them how to adult, excuse me. Um, our final program is APAC, and that's the program that I work for. That's Alabama Pre- and Post-Adoption Connections. 
what we do is we look for families who want to adopt from foster care. We recruit, train, and do home study services absolutely free of charge for those families. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you can adopt in Alabama. And what's really cool about adopting in Alabama is the support services. Not all the other states have this, guys. We have a suite of support services, which include a resource library. It's kind of like old school Netflix. Anybody, everybody have Netflix? Raise your hand, let me know, okay. Um, well, millennials, before there was streaming, you went and you made a queue, and they sent you these DVDs in the mail, and you watched them and then you sent them back. That's how our library works. Um, we do training. We bring in national experts um, and international experts to train the social workers and counselors here in Alabama that work with our population, that work with our families and our children. Um, we also have family advocates, which um, are workers who can walk alongside our families um, hand in hand. Um, that service is kind of really malleable and can look um, a lot like whatever families need. There's a lot of flexibility in that. Um, we do camp every year. We take 140 children who have been touched by adoption to Camp Wetumpka, um, excuse me, Camp Chandler in Wetumpka, um, and that is a really cool experience. That might be the first time that these children have been um, with other children who have shared their experience. If you think about it, they might be the only child in their classroom day to day that's been adopted or that even knows what adoption is or the only child in their youth group. So they get to come out, and we're not all singing, we're all adopted, kumbaya, it's not like that. Um, it's, it's much more subtle, um, but it is a very therapeutic process for a lot of those children. I want to talk to you specifically about a very special group of children. They're called Alabama's Waiting Children, and these children are the ones that are featured on Heart Gallery. How many of you have been to Heart Gallery's website? Okay, a handful. Um, I will tell you that there are six, I believe I saw six different children or sibling groups. Um, their pictures are out here and they have a little blurb about them. Those are children who are currently waiting for their forever families. They are either in a foster home that is not willing or able to adopt them, or they are in a residential facility where there's not a mom or dad to say, yes, we want to adopt them. Your child's picture could be out there on that table right now, waiting for you. I will tell you, um, we had to switch out the pictures. We usually have some with us um, from our partner, Heart Gallery. We had to switch them out for this event because all of the ones that we had were too local to you guys. All of them were from Limestone County. So they're not sitting, those, those children out there may be sitting in Birmingham or Montgomery or Mobile but there are at least four that are sitting in Limestone County, 10 minutes down the road waiting for you guys. Um, our support services serve any type of adoption, adoptive family. You don't have to adopt from foster care. We do serve international and other domestic um, adoptions, kinship care. We even do adult adoptions in Alabama, which is something really cool. You don't have to foster first to be an adoptive family in Alabama. Um, I know that you guys will all have questions, so I'm looking forward to hearing from y'all um, and really, you know, learning what, you, what you're thinking, where your minds are. I want to tell you just a little bit, like I said before, it's not my job to convince you to become foster parents, but I want to give you just a little taste um, of what 
of what that entails. So the children that we work with um, have obviously been through abuse and neglect. Um, and that is, we use a word for that, trauma. We've all been through traumas. Um, it's a big buzzword. You probably are tr starting to hear about it at your workplace or, or if you've watched, I don't know, um, Grey's Anatomy or Chicago Hope, or they'll talk about trauma, right? Um, there's psychological and emotional trauma as well. And when that happens, when children are exposed to that over and over again, their brains don't develop in the same way that a, that a child who is in a safe environment develops. So who has a five-year-old? Okay, who's met a five-year-old? Everybody, right? Okay, I want you to think about a five-year-old. And I want you to think about if the five-year-old came home to school, from school to you, and said, Mom, Dad, I had a really tough day at school. There was this other child. He was being a bully. He probably has some really tough things going on in his own life. But it was really upsetting to see that. And, you know, I'm, I've just had a rough day. I'm, I'm going to go to my room for a while and read a book. Um, take some time for me. It's me time. Um, and I'll come back out when I'm ready to talk it, talk it out with you and, and rejoin the family. Now, how many of you would be really surprised if your five-year-old did all that? Yes. Why is that? They can't do that, right? Five-year-olds developmentally can't do that for some reasons. Number one, they don't have the vocabulary. Number two, they don't have the emotional intelligence. Did you hear all those feeling words? They don't know what all that is. They don't have the empathy yet. They're developing empathy, but they don't have the empathy yet to understand what's going on with that bully at school. So, um, but... The five-year-old still had a bad day. How are you going to know that he had a bad day? He's still going to tell you, right? It's going to be in a secret language that kids speak, that we all speak. I tell all the resource parents that I work with and all of my workers, behavior is the language of need. So something that's really cool is we have to, we get to, we get to, as foster and adoptive parents and as professionals that support those families, we get to understand their worldview and help them understand that there's a different worldview. There's a safer worldview. There's a more peaceful worldview. In order to understand where they are, we have to listen in a different way. They're not going to be able to tell us, I had a bad day. But they are going to whine and have tantrums. And what else do five-year-olds do? Lie. <laughs> My five-year-old lies quite a bit. No, I don't want to eat that. The other day it was he didn't want to change his underwear. <laughs> you know. A child, um, a typical five-year-old child is not going to be able to do that. A child who's been through abuse and neglect is going to be less able to do that because of the way their brain has developed. Everybody hold your hand up. Hold it up like this. Okay. This is a little demonstration. I want you to think of this as your brain, okay? This is your brain stem. What does your brain stem do? Somebody yell it out. I like when y'all talk back to me. Breathing, thank you. None of us have to go, okay, breathe. Okay, breathe. Okay, or, okay, beat heart. Beat heart, right? It does that automatically. This was the first thing to develop in utero. This little guy right here, this is your amygdala, and he controls your emotions. 
That was the next thing to develop. You could feel before you could think. All right, everybody go like this. This is your neocortex, and that's the part of your brain that can think and reason and slow down and be careful and think logically and then eventually think creatively. But when we get upset, every one of us, everybody this flips your lid, <laughs> and you have no access to your neocortex anymore. You guys can put your hands down. You're here in your amygdala, and that is where children who have been through abuse and neglect a lot live. They're not thinking about algebra. They're not thinking about um, how to be nice and have gentle feet and hands. They're thinking about, where's my next meal coming from? And how do I stay safe? And how do I stay out of the way of the person who's hurt me? And so when their brains are doing that all the time, they're not able to grow and develop like typical children. Um, I'll give you one example of a behavior, hoarding. Uh, do, you, do I have any foster or adoptive parents in the room? Okay, and just, just nodding over your heads, have you experienced the hoarding behavior? Yes, okay. So y'all can go back to the back and answer questions about this with us later. So hoarding is a really common behavior that we see with children who have had food insecurity, that have experienced a time in their life um, when they weren't, when they didn't know where, when they were going to eat again. So what that looks like is, um, and it's on a spectrum, you know, sometimes it might be they go through the school line and they take three or four apples and only pay for one, and the rest of them are in their pockets or in their backpack. Or it might look like you walk into the room and, oh my goodness, what is that smell? Okay, well that's half a banana that they've put in a sock and then put in their mattress, okay? So what they're doing, that's behavior, right? And what that tells us is, there was a time in my life where I didn't have access to food. Now, the really cool thing is we've kind of figured this out. And as foster and adoptive parents, we get to help with that. We have some therapeutic techniques. One of them is the yes basket, and, and we can talk about that and how we set that up. But that helps that child, that technique helps that child feel comfortable and know that food is always available. It helps them heal. And that's really the whole crux of it, is that we've known this for a long time, just as human beings, but the people who lead our field studied it, and it's backed up with science now, that healing happens in relationships, right? Healing happens in relationships. And so those 250-plus children that are waiting they're not waiting for your swimming pool and your trips to Disney and your family vacations. All that's great stuff, and yes, they deserve that. They were waiting on that relationship with you. How cool is that? Um, again, I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to get to interact with you guys in a little bit. All of these ladies back here, I know I can speak for them, that they're excited too. So if you have questions about anything we, I've talked about tonight or, um, you know, you want to talk with me one-on-one, -on -one, I welcome that. And I think Joel's going to come up and introduce the next speaker. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is great. Um, so 
Our next two speakers are going to kind of tag team here. Y'all grab your mics right there and go ahead and turn them on. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about foster care, um, especially here in Limestone County. And these are a couple of representatives with Limestone County DHR. Um, Limestone County DHR's mission statement is to provide for the protection, well-being, and self-sufficiency of children and adults. Um, so this here is Amanda Patton. She is a licensed bachelor social worker and has been employed with DHR since 2004. She's worked as a foster care caseworker, a child protective services worker, an intake worker, and a financial support worker. And she now works within the department's resource unit working on recruiting foster parents and training them through a one-on-one program called Deciding Together. And then this over here is Akoya Doss. Um, she is a licensed master social worker and has been employed with DHR since 2014. Um, she's previously worked in adult protective services and child welfare. She's also been employed in the resource unit, working on training and licensing foster parents through the TIPS program, as well as recruitment. And so y'all can give them a hand as they talk. You want to use mine? Yeah, All right. Well, we thank you for having us. Uh, and that was nice uh, with the introductions. We've got some slides. And one thing I... Notice back here, APAC actually has more stuff uh, to give away on their table, so you can tell who is with the state uh, and who is not. Uh, but um, we are glad to be here. And you can go on and start the slide. And he's already covered this, so I'm not going to really repeat it. Uh, but uh, foster care, and I cannot see that one back there, but it's temporary. I think we've, some of this stuff that we're going to talk about too, they uh, talked about in the video that you saw. So that was just, some of this is repetitive. So uh, it's a temporary service provided to children who cannot remain in the home with their parent or caregiver. And we've listed a few reasons why kids come into care. We've got physical sexual abuse, uh, some neglect, uh, maltreatment. Uh, here in Limestone County, we've got a big issue with drugs, uh, drug use, illegal drug use, uh, prescription drug use. Uh, which leads uh, to the neglect sometimes. Uh, goal is reunification. Uh, we work with parents, and our goal is to put those kids back home, and I think that was something that they had mentioned in the video. Uh, children come from various ethnic and economic backgrounds. We have, uh, uh, you know, I can't really explain any more about that, but we've got all different kinds of kids and different uh, income levels that we have uh, in care. Thank you. Uh, and these are not like common misconceptions that I've heard. Some of these I've heard uh, locally, and some of these I just kind of Googled. Uh, but the first one, like all foster children are orphans. This is an orphan care interest meeting. Uh, and when you think, uh, you know, in the traditional sense of an orphan, like who's lost their parents to death, or uh, a, we don't really see that a lot. We have had that, but... Uh, uh, most kids have some kind of family, uh, biological family. Uh, if you think about orphan and like someone's abandoned them or hasn't been able to take care of them and that's why they're in care, that's what we're uh, talking about. Uh, every foster child has special needs. APAC uh, talked about the waiting kids and some of those kids are the kids that have some special needs. But all children in care do not. Uh, Foster parents only do it for the money. If you have any experience with foster parenting or adopting, then you, you know that that's, uh, I see some laughter there. Uh, I think a board payment's about 400 uh, for something. Uh, and when you think about the expense of traveling, how much a uh, child in your home's gonna eat, uh, especially if there's issues with not having food consistently, uh, how old that child is, 
what kind of medical appointments you may, or issues you may have, the clothing, uh, school expenses, that adds up fast. So uh, foster children in care, or, or foster children are in care because their family didn't want them. Most of the time, that's not the case. Every once in a while you'll find that, but most of these parents do want their kids, and they want to try to, or they say they do, and they want to try to work with us to get them back. Foster children usually have deeply ingrained behavioral problems. Uh, this one I've heard locally, uh, and people are like, well, I don't want those kids because they're bad, or they have uh, bad behaviors, and I don't want that to influence my kids. Uh, and what I'm talking about, you know, just thieving, or, you know, like they steal stuff all the time, or, and that's not the case. Uh, if there are any behaviors, hopefully we will have uh, a partnership, like we'll work in partnership uh, to support you and provides, you know, connect you with resources to meet those kids' needs. Uh, it's an easy way to grow your family. That's probably a funny one, too, if you uh, have any experience with foster adoption. Uh, all biological parents are horrible. Now, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> uh, that's not, you know, that's not one, obviously, uh, that I've heard locally. Uh, you know, um, some people might think that, that all these parents are bad and that they just, you know, don't want to take care of their kids and are doing this on purpose. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, I have had foster parents uh, sit at the table with the biological parents and say, look, it's just a matter of a few choices in our life, and we would be on different sides of the table. So, uh, uh, foster parents have to be perfect. You don't. You've probably seen the commercial uh, with Open Your Heart, Open Your Home, uh, where, you know, it doesn't take a perfect... Uh, parent to be a perfect parent for me. Uh, and we are, like he said, the resource unit. Uh, we coordinate placement of children in foster homes. We train and license foster parents. We have different, and I think Hikoi is going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we conduct home studies and recruit and retain foster families. Uh, and I think, is this where you're going to take over? You want to take over with statistics? Good evening, y'all. I'm going to try to cut this down because I can't talk a lot. Um, and then I'm going to also sway a little bit and turn this way because there's a running joke about me because I wear glasses and I'm always forgetting them so I will turn and look right here. Um, but if you see me trying to see back there that's just what's going on. But I want to talk to y'all about the statistics here in Limestone County. Um, kind of make it close and personal so that you will know what's actually going on. You know down the street, in your backyard, this is what's going on. So currently, we have about 35 families serving Limestone County. And y'all see the top number up here that says we have 97 children in foster care. So who's good at math? Come on, y'all. See, I see, I, okay, I saw a little hand. But um, if you think about it, that is multiple children in your home in each of these foster homes that we have here in Limestone County. Now, some of the children are placed in traditional foster homes, but we do have to resort to residential facilities, um, therapeutic placement. So that's not all traditional foster homes, but many of our homes do have more than one child in it. Um, the third one is the average caseload for a foster care worker. I think we have about seven, seven foster care workers, but they all have different things that they're doing. Like some of them work with older children, so the average caseload is about 16 to 18, and a lot of our children are placed in northern Alabama, but sometimes we have to go down south. We go in Birmingham, Mobile, places like that, so they travel all over the state, okay? 
And then the last one is the finalized adoptions that we did last year in 2017. And note, these are foster parent adoptions. And if you are fostering, and we, of course, are working for reunification, and sometimes that does not happen, so we have to terminate the parents' rights. So we always ask the foster parent first, you know, if they will be willing to adopt that child. And so in this circumstance, last year, we had nine adoptions, okay? So that kind of puts it into perspective of what we did. All right. I'm ready for the next one. Thank you. Um, Uh-oh, we got to be careful. Um, so to be a foster parent, the very first thing that you want to do is be informed. And I heard Amanda say that you don't have to be perfect. We're not looking for millionaires or, or those that are very wealthy, not perfect parents. I am not a perfect parent, and I teach the classes, so there you go. So you don't have to be perfect. We just need somebody that's ready to open up their heart and open up their home. So cliche, but it's very true. Um, the next is just knowing how the process worked and what you can do to become trained to be a foster parent. And it's the same in all counties, but we're specifically talking about here in Limestone. And we train in the Trauma-Informed Partner for Safety program, or TIPS. You'll hear me say TIPS a lot. And in that program, it is a, uh, we offer it twice a year, in the spring and in the fall, and we're actually getting ready to start up again. And what that is is a 30-hour program that you have to complete. So we spread that out over 10 weeks, and we do it once a week. So how many hours a night is that? Three. Okay, I got some good mathematicians in here. All right, so, of course, and the answer's up there, too, if y'all are looking. Um, <laughs> we have the three-hour class, and it's on Tuesdays from 6 to 9. You have to sit in there and listen to me talk, or sometimes Amanda. But we try to give you all the information that you need. We talk about a, a multitude of things, managing behaviors, attachments, and of course, trauma. We talk about a lot of different things. So it's a really good class to have. And me being a parent, of course, I didn't know it all, but I did learn a lot even going through the training. Uh, the next thing is minimum standards for foster homes. And that is just um, a booklet, uh, some guidelines that we go by to look in your home. You know, we have to check to see if you have working smoke detectors, um, a fire extinguisher, things like that, just to make sure that the child that we place in your home is in a safe place. That's all that that is. And then the last, and these are just main things, the last main thing is a background check. Um, everybody in your home will, over the age of 18 will have to undergo a background check because we can't have criminals doing our children, but um, we do have to do a check, so that is one of the main things. So here's some positive things about foster care. We heard a lot of positive things earlier about adoption and APAC Children's Aid Society, um, but just want to highlight a few things about foster care. The first thing is that you gain knowledge. You always hear things, what people say on the outside, but nobody really knows what it's like. Is that right, foster parents? That's right, they don't know. So you gain a lot of knowledge about the different behaviors, the system, you know, how things work, and just how to deal with different things that life may throw at you, really. Um, the next thing is my favorite, enhance a child's life experience, because we never know how the little things matter so much. Um, eating three meals a day, taking a bath at night, you know, things that we don't think about just coming from where we come from. But those little things that we do for these children that come from hard places, it enhances their life. It shows them 
you know, the positive things that we have to offer. And then the last thing is it is a rewarding family experience. So this is like saying, you know, if you have children, a lot of people will report to me and say, you know, that their children are helping and they're growing through the process and they're learning how to be selfless, things like that. So it's definitely something to gain and even yourself, you may not, you may think that you're ready to give, but going through this process, it will definitely teach you a thing or two, okay? All right, so I did all this talking. I'm out of breath up here, standing up here. I'm nervous, and I've said all these things. And you may think, well, I don't really think that this is right for me right now. So what are some other ways that we can help? So number one, you can volunteer your time. You can, let's see. We have a local association that you can donate your time to, just helping out with events, um, just showing up to support. They have a Christmas party. They do different things out in the community. And so just showing up just to say, you know, we're here to support you, that's always good. So just your time is always great. The next thing is to encourage others with positive information and make sure that it's accurate. So. You may hear some things tonight, and you may go to work tomorrow, and you might share, you know, hey, I heard about, you know, the fostering process, and I think it might be good for you. You know, just sharing the word, word of mouth, and then that could possibly, possibly spark someone else's interest. The third thing is just placing a sign in your yard, your place of business. Um, me and Amanda are crafty sisters, so um, we can get you a sign, just something to put up just to say support foster care, support foster children. It's just as simple as that. And somebody that may have not even thought about it before may see it, and then they may become inspired to learn a little bit more, okay? And almost there, almost to the last one. The fourth one is to donate items, the things that you don't need, clothing, um, furniture, cleaning supplies, just um, hygiene products, anything that you may have that you may not need around the home, just donate them. You know, you can bring them up to DHR, um, get in contact with somebody from the Foster Parent Association and just donate them because we have a lot of teens, children that come to care, they don't have anything. They don't have a backpack, they don't have a toothbrush, they don't have lotion or, you know, things to bathe. And so we just try to make sure that they have what they need. But if you have anything, donating is always good. And then the last thing, see my eyes working tonight. Yes, the last thing is the most important thing, which is invite us recruiters to speak and talk about this, like at your church event or, you know, your organization. So just have us come and speak. We like to stand up in front of a lot of people and talk a lot. Is that right? <laughs> so just invite us to speak. So I think that's pretty much it. I want to thank y'all and Thank Joel again for just having us, and we'll be in the back. We'll be glad to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you all so much. I don't know what happened to our screen, so we'll just roll without it. I did want to, let me tell you this number again for questions right before Mike and Christy talk. Um, so if you have questions, I don't know if we'll be able to put it on the screen. It's 256 seven eight three zero one two nine two five six seven eight three zero one two nine again we'll be having a Q&A right after this so this is uh, Mike and Christy Brockman they're members here of Summit Crossing so if you're a Summit Crossing family you probably recognize them um, if not you saw them in the video earlier so they shared some of their story there but they wanted to expound on that a little bit and share a lot about just how do you support 
um, children who are in, uh, or sorry, families who are involved in foster care and adoption. Uh, they have fostered around five kids all through the Limestone County DHR. They've adopted one young man through that journey. And so they're going to spend a few minutes just kind of sharing their journey and how you can be involved. So. Is this, yes, it's working. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, I'm tell everybody. <laughs> I, I, evidently, I don't know my youngest son's age. He is actually six years old. He is not five. Yeah, we were looking for He had just had a birthday, so. <laughs> we were looking for the opportunity to speak tonight because there was a few things that we kind of wanted to clear up or we felt like, you know, combining eight years of a ministry in foster care into like a seven-minute blip was <laughs> a little difficult, and Joel did a really good job at editing out all of our awkwardness. But um, yes, we have a six-year-old son instead of a five-year-old son. And I also think we said in that video that one way that you can support families that foster and adopt is to take a training. And I don't think that is accurate. I don't know, Amanda, where are you? Is she it just a background check for respite? that you need for respite? Or do you have to take a course? They go do you really? Okay, okay, so then never mind. I was more accurate than I thought I was. So, um, and I think another thing that uh, when I was watching the video back, um, I talked a lot about failed um, adoptions that we'd been through. And because we went into this with foster care being our ministry to love on families that were hurting and kind of looking at it as an opportunity to love mothers that were struggling or um, people who were slaves to addictions, um, there are a lot of times where we poured our heart and soul so much into um, reunification in a family. Um, and with a child so that when that fell through, that was um, really difficult. Um, and so if someone in your community group or in our church or someone that you know in your neighborhood is fostering or, or adopting, going through that process, um, they can't always share a lot of what they're going through for confidentiality reasons. Um, it's really important. Um, but just to be able to be there because there's so much back and forth um, like in the trenches with them is important. Um, they can't always spill all the gooey details about the situation, but just to be able to be there for them in prayer and um, yeah, show up for them in that way. Yeah. Um, so we, we had uh, the two uh, foster girls that I was talking about in the video. Uh, I will never forget the night that we got the phone call, say, hey, we've got five kids. How many can you take? Uh, these are their ages. So we ended up taking... Uh, the two youngest girls, and I will never forget opening the door at, I don't remember if it was 10, 11 o'clock at night, and in their matching pink jackets they had, that they had just received from DHR, and seeing their little faces look up at us, just like, okay, you're going to be taking care of me for a while. I'm coming into your home. I have no idea what I'm about to walk into. And uh, to just be there for them and try to love on them uh, through that time of where uh, you're either working towards reunification uh, with, with their family um, or, or things like that. Just going through that, just going through life with them and, and showing them Christ's love and, and loving them as a parent um, is, is so important. For, for their little minds, for their little souls, I mean, for everything. And I'll never, I'll never forget these, you know, I'd 
be walking out to go out to work in the morning, and I would have a kid on each leg walk in and say, Dad, you know, don't leave, don't leave. And Christy told me just last week that uh, one, of these, one of these little girls, we still keep in touch uh, with her family. She's been adopted. And she said one of, one of her best memories from going through foster care in all the different houses was just her hanging on my leg as I was going, walking out the door in the morning for work. And it seemed so insignificant at the time. Uh, but, it, you know, it, you're affecting these kids' lives uh, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another thing I didn't get to share in the video. Uh, there was a, we had uh, a young, young boy in foster care. He was a little bit older uh, than our oldest Wyatt at the time. And he, came, he, he was pulled out from home, and he had it rough. Found he, he was he was just he was poor. scared he was scared, he was scared. and uh, he just like she was saying earlier <laughs> that behavior that scared was manifesting itself in seemingly very inappropriate ways <laughs> in our home and um, it gets it got trying yeah it, that, that's the flesh struggle that I was really talking about in the video it can it's really easy for you to overlook what all this child has gone through uh, and just focus on how he's affecting you in the moment. Um, and I'll never forget just being upset and Christy looking at me and, and saying something to the effect of, would you sacrifice your oldest son for him? And he's like, because that's what, that's what Christ did for us on the cross. And that really, I mean, that changed my life. And shortly after that, I, I was—I mean, I believed before that, but it, it shattered everything in me. And I was, I got baptized several months later, and it was, I mean, it was a life changer. Yeah, so that, I mean, just pointing, pointing foster families back to Christ when things get hard and when they're in the trenches and things are hairy. And, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, they're really sad, and it's going to, come across in certain behaviors in your home when you're living that day in and day out, trying to, um, you know, just go on and knowing that it's affecting your your own children, um, just pointing foster families and adoptive families back to Christ and reminding them, um, you know, of why why we do it, gospel intentionality. Yeah, it's like you've got to convince them that you're not there to take their children. <laughs> We're not here to take your children. We're just here to take care of them until you can get back on your feet. And, and however we can do, you know, whatever we can do with DHR's help to, to help you get to that, then we'll do it. So. That's kind of all we have. That's what we okay. got to yeah. We want to rehash everything you already saw in the video. <laughs> all right, yeah. So if you're on the panel, you can start making your way up here. Y'all can keep those mics. We're going to kind of get this set up. So give us just a second. I did want to mention that um, as far as support for foster care, um, we have a sign-up sheet in the back. Um, since that's something that's kind of as needed, you can't always anticipate what that kind of support is going to be. Um, there's just a sign-up sheet in the back, and that will just create like an email group. So as we hear of opportunities or needs, uh, we'll just send out to the group, hey, here's the need. Here's what we're looking for, and then seeing if you guys, 
if somebody can meet that need. So that's going to be on the support table back there. That's a great next step. If you're not sure, but you know you want to stay informed, that's a great way to do that. So the five panelists, y'all guys can kind of sit right here. Um, we'll, let's see, more awesome waters. I didn't charge my phone, so we'll see if this lasts. If not, um, we'll roll with it. So Dave, be on standby. I might need you to come up here. Awesome, thank you. So thank you all. Um, I know from everybody here, we're grateful for y'all's time and coming out here. So I'm just going to ask some questions. It might be clear based on the question, um, who needs to answer it. If not, then that's fine. We'll just talk and feel free to jump in. Um, we got two mics here. You can make sure they're both on. Um, and if they are, then we can just kind of pass it around. So should be good to go. All right. So one of the questions that I think might have been answered, but I don't know if it was answered clearly, is how many children are currently awaiting adoption in Limestone County? Do we know that, or is that primarily the state of Alabama that we know that? Um, is it in Alabama? In Limestone County? In Limestone Do you know that number? County. That was the question. If not, that's fine. Oh, okay. Well, we don't know exactly, and yeah. the silly thing is that number can fluctuate right. because sometimes we may think that we have a resource identified, and that may change and increase mm. the number. But as far as an exact number, I don't think we have that right now as far as adopted children. Gotcha. Now... But at least four. Yeah, at I least think four. She said earlier. So there you go, at least four in line. And then uh, one thing I wanted to add too is that um, you, you are not limited to adopt out of Limestone County. Mm -hmm. If you feel like um, you are wanting to be an adoptive family, they will try to match you all over the state. So it's not only in Limestone County, you can be looked at all over the state. Awesome, thank you. Now, in the state of Alabama, didn't, do you guys have a number of, I feel like I heard 200 and something in the state of Alabama through APAC. Is that a number that, well, do y'all know what it was? Right, yeah. So it fluctuates from between 250 to 300. It's probably closer to 300 right now. But like the exact number in Limestone County, we never know what the exact number is because it's a revolving door. As soon as one leaves, two more put on state recruitment. All right, awesome. I got a charge now, so <laughs> I can figure it out. Um, all right, so this would be a question um, about the TIPS class. Um, so someone mentioned, like, if you wanted to attend the 10-week TIPS class, but you have, like, a scheduled obligation during one session that you can't miss, like, how does that work? So do you have to wait till the next go-round, or? You can miss, like, maybe one or two of the classes, but since we cover so much stuff in a three-hour class, we would, we'd have to make that up. But I, um, and we didn't mention that. We mentioned deciding together, which is, uh, there are six different books, and we do one-on-one -on -one instruction. We're both uh, TIPS trained and Deciding Together trained, but I, I've, since she's doing the group classes, I've been doing like the one-on-one -on -one in the home. It, uh, it's a lot of work uh, without a person, so you have to be committed to work through some thick books, and we cover the same material. But there's options, and we, that's flexible uh, for your schedule. Like We can meet you know, whenever, uh, usually... Right now, I've got some that, um, you know, they work at night or if they have, um, they've got their own business so they can, uh, you know, adjust that and, and the kids have stuff at night. So we, we are meeting during the day, uh, during yeah. the week. So, so they, I'm sure they could talk to you more personally. And yeah, she can come and talk to me after this is awesome. over with. Okay. Cool. Great. Um, so this is something I think that's helpful. Um, we've heard tonight that we can support fostering families through respite care. 
So what exactly is that? And I think the requirements might have been mentioned, but what would that process be like for someone who wanted to do that? So what is it and what would that next step be? Okay, so respite care is a type of temporary care that you provide to foster children. Um, you do have to do the exact same training you would as if you were being a regular foster parent, but you have the option to say that, you know, right now I want to provide respite care or short term and then up to it can be up to a week two weeks that you provide care for that child in your home but the good thing about that is it is almost scheduled so you'll know that the child will be transitioning to another placement so that is an option but you do have to go through the regular training to do that oh and um amanda said like sometimes holidays when families might go on vacation and they need someone to watch the foster children a lot of times families will just take the foster child but um holidays summer um just a lot of different options or if they come in a facility i'm sorry i'm trying to like listen yeah um i know i might have the hand to her but we do have children in facilities sometimes older children that for the holidays they want to come back to the county they may not have family mm -hmm. so we do have some families that say yes they can come stay with us for a week or two and yeah. we'll do christmas and things like that That's so cool. that is an option so they walk through the same 10-week class is that correct? Yes. Okay. And that um, that actually turned into it was it started off as a respite holiday visit for one of my kids, and that um, that foster parent family ended up adopting him. So mm -hmm. you know that turned into a long term forever family for him. So yeah, I think um, that's a great know. I don't know for me just a great like option to get involved without obviously maybe not being able to make the commitment of full fostering but respite. And maybe you guys just quickly could talk about what that meant for you guys to have people who could do that. Yeah, honestly, we when we were going through. Um, when we were in foster care and adoption situations, we didn't have respite um, or anybody that could provide respite that we knew personally. Um, we always had to go through DHR, and sometimes if it was kind of a, like a death in the family and we had to take off out of state really quick, didn't want the kids to miss a lot of school, it kind of put us in a bind. So I know there's a family in our community group currently who's thinking about pursuing fostering. Um, and if that does happen for them, it's something that we as a community group might go through the courses yeah. so that should the need arise, they would just have. So, I mean, if, if there are members of your church or your community that you know are in foster care and adoption, that is a huge blessing to them. Um, yeah. We didn't have that, and it would have been smooth sailing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christy had to take off uh, because her grandfather passed away, so I had five kids <laughs> in, in the house all to myself. <laughs> <laughs> So he really would have loved uh, respite care. <laughs> respite is a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, I don't know, I'm just dreaming from a um, church standpoint for Summit Crossing folks, what it's like to maybe have a bunch of folks go take a class together to support each other in that. And then coming out of that, you have just a, an army of people who are available. And, and that might be a great way for us to care for those. So I think that's great. And that's, I'm skipping down a question, but someone mentioned when is the next TIPS course starting? Is that scheduled? Yes, it is. Um, we are about to begin our TIPS class this fall. We hold an orientation, which is just one hour, and that's for people to get more acquainted to the process, if they have any questions they want to ask before they start. But that is going to be August the 28th, so not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. But the official classes that we will have will begin September the 4th, so we are very excited about those. So if you're thinking about it, got some flyers in the back. So. Perfect. Flyers in the back. Tuesday night. It's good stuff. 
Um, okay, so this is, might be a question for anybody could jump in on this. For those who have fostered, does it seem to take a long time for the children to warm up to you? Would that be based on the child? Yeah, Everybody's I think, looking at y'all. I mean, every, every kid that we had was very different, um, age and background. Um, I mean, I've had a lot of people, <laughs> this is probably bad, but I've had a lot of people who say, oh, bless your heart, you foster. You know, I don't know how you do that. I just couldn't, you know, get rid of a kid after bringing him to my home. And I think, yes, you could. <laughs> there are some kids. Like, yeah, like it's not always like that. <laughs> Bless it. I wish it were, but it's not. I mean, there's just, yeah. I don't even remember the original question. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So sometimes yeah. never. I think maybe. sometimes never. I mean, I yeah. think there's just, it's different for yeah. every child, every situation. Um, you know, there are some kids that almost attach to us, I would say too fast to where, I mean, they don't, was it reactive attachment disorder where they just kind of attach to everybody because they don't mm. have an appropriate, you know, mm. yeah. baseline for that. So, um, yeah, it's just it's different. For a kid, yeah. This is one, um, I think, just to cover some maybe misconceptions or just some lack of knowing questions of the cost of adopting just financially and then also the cost of fostering. So we could start with adoption and then go to foster. So. Yeah, so all of, um, and we, we, I didn't make this clear when I was speaking, but um, to adopt, be an adoption-only family, you also have to go through TIPS. And so we're kind of partnering, teaming up to start those and, um, and, and help you guys get um, down the right path. And, and just because you start one class doesn't mean you're locked into that. So we'll have classes starting this fall as well. The cost for um, adopting in Alabama, all of the training and home study services are free if you uh, receive them from APAC or if you receive them from DHR. Um, for the waiting children, for those children who are photo listed on Heart Gallery, um, because they fall under a special needs criteria, they are eligible for a legal stipend of up to $1,000. Um, anything above and beyond that in terms of legal fees is the family's financial responsibility. But um, those, we're not talking about 10000 or $50,000 that you might have heard of for international adoptions. These are very, very low costs, so think 3000 and less um, of what you run into. Um, a word on that is there's a lot of additional stipends that DHR offers depending on the needs of children. Um, they are eligible to keep, all, all foster children have Medicaid and they're eligible to keep that Medicaid depending on their needs um, until age 18. Um, and then your employer may offer some adoption incentive money as well. There's also an adoption tax credit, and there is some special help um, through the state for children who are adopted um, at age 14 and over for paying for college. So there's lots and lots of um, financial help for families. It's, it's, um, we want to remove that barrier as much as possible. Do you want to add to that? tips is free uh, for <laughs> be a foster parent. There are no costs. And I think that Rachel covered it pretty well. Um, if you do get to the adoption stage, then that's where you may or may not have to cover any costs that are not covered um, for the, the legal fees and things like that. But to take the classes, it's no charge. Just bring yourself ready to learn. So. Ours, uh, our adoption costs, the legal fees were just 1500 bucks yeah. adopting through DHR. So it's yeah, and, and I think it's reasonable. good to, to say from a church body standpoint, like we're, we're going to come around you. If that's what you're called to, then you're not going to be alone in that. So you just have to communicate that and you will be cared for and the money will be there. Like we'll 
that's, that's not going to, we don't want that to keep anybody um, from caring uh, for young children who need to be cared for, not just young, but children who need to be cared for. So, um, all right, cool. So, let's move to the next one. Um, so, the process of fostering, it sounds like very clearly the first step is tips, right? Someone was kind of asking about that process. I'm assuming coming to that class, you'll, you'll have most of your questions answered within and through that 10 weeks. It's 30 hours, so you'll have plenty of time. So, someone was asking the, the process. So, um, and then next, okay, so here's a good one, I think, that I wanted to ask. Do you have to have an extra bedroom to do either respite care or foster care? Like, what does, what's the rooming situation has to be? Okay, so generally we look for the child to have a bed and a place to store their things. If you have a room where you can add an extra twin bed or a crib or something like that, that's definitely appropriate. We just need the child to have um, just a place to put their own. I mean, we have had a lot of situations where <laughs> if you, you we had to double up some things, you know, to get through the night or so forth, but you don't have to have an extra room. If you have a, a place for the child to sleep, appropriate place, a, a bed, in a closet, you know, a drawer somewhere to put their things, that's appropriate. Yeah, we, uh, so we had a 1,400 square foot house and we had five kids in there, so we had our community group was awesome. You know, they came over and we literally built a three-tier bunk bed in the boys' room. So we had all three boys in one room and two girls in the other room. But when Max was really young, I guess this was, before, yeah, so we had a walk-in closet in our master bedroom. And, you know, he's a baby. And so he had, we had his crib in there. We had, you know, his little changing table and, you know, pictures and stuff. And, and I think Angela, Angela had to come over, and she was like, so, so a representative from DHR had to come over. I hear, I hear you have a child living in your closet. <laughs> I, I have to come look at it. Come on. So, I'm like, we don't lock hey. him in there. You know, it's just, he, he sleeps in there. He can't walk right. yet, so it's, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. that's great. Get creative. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Um, all right, and then I think that's helpful because I, I think I had some misconceptions about that myself. Um, so people who feel called to adopt but not foster, um, I know, I think maybe this would be a question for you, like what's that process like? Is it also starting probably with a similar class um, and, and what might that be for them? And I know you guys are really focused on the kids, the special needs, but, you know, maybe speak to that for those parents. Yeah, sure. So um, I'll start with foster care adoptions. Like I said before, we do, those, those families go through TIPS as well. Um, our process starts with an online orientation, so if you're interested in, in doing the first step with us, we have an email sign-up sheet back there, and you can leave your information with us, and we'll send you that link as soon as we get back in the office Monday. Um, that, um, that transpires into home studies. Now, international and domestic adoptions and kinship adoptions are different. Um, it just depends on the agency that you work with, um, the country that you are adopting from, and what their criteria are. Um, another service that Children's Aid offers is um, adoption training online. So if you are going through um, an international or a domestic adoption that requires some adoption training, um, chances are that that adoption training online component will meet your 
training requirement. So it's a different um, curriculum, um, but that is something that children, Children's Aid offers as well. And if it doesn't meet that criteria, um, we have a coworker who, who practices in private adoptions, and she can help you find that resource. Awesome. Um, okay, I think this one's good. Um, can you be a single person to foster or adopt? And along with that, how, like, is there an age typically like an actual requirement and then maybe a suggestion on top of that? And so for adoption, yes, you can be a single person. Um, and there is no maximum age. You have to be at least 19. Oh, and that's the same thing for fostering. You can be a single parent. And I have, I have a fellow that I'm working with and he's like, are there any more single dads? And I was like, sure. But then I started thinking and I was like, well, we don't have any locally. So if you're any single dads, he needs a support. Um, so now when you say single dads, you don't single with no kids. I'm sorry, he's single. Yeah. He's a single man. Yeah, and single. Now he's okay, I'm just making sure dad, I'm so. tracking. Yep. So, okay. That's right. Yep. And you can also, you can live in an apartment or um, mobile home or, you know, be renting. You don't have to be in your, like, a house. So That's good. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I can, be you can a have kids dad, too. Yes, so. I do yeah. understand that. Yeah. Yes. Thank I just you for that. I want to make sure, yeah. Um, do you have to live in Limestone County to provide respite care for through Limestone County DHR? That's a good one. Um, <laughs> typically, yes. I'll say yes and no. Um, if you do live in a neighboring county, we are supposed to ask permission for you to foster or provide respite care over here, and that's because. Um, we are very possessive of our families. So, um, if it, like Madison County, they would like to know, and I know they are very, very busy this year, and I think they won't have an open class until next year. So, we've been having families call over here to Limestone County to try to see if they can get in. And then we have to explain to them that if you take the classes in Limestone County, um, you probably will be fostering in Limestone mm -hmm. County, working and going to meetings and things like that. So, um, yes and no, the border is very negotiable, but you can see us in the back. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Um, so let me, let me put this out there. Is there any other, Jake has a mic if anybody has any questions that they just want to share. Didn't know. I'm going to give it a second of awkward silence. So, oh, looks like we got um, another question come through text, so you can sit back down. But if you, if you want to ask something, you know, feel free to raise your hand and, and Jake will come around. We're going to do just a few more minutes, and then we'll open up, we'll, we'll pray, dismiss, and, and go to the tables in the back. Um, what do you mean by special needs children, to clarify what that means? I think that'd be good. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So um, to give you a little background on that, the federal government gives every state money to incentivize what they call special needs adoptions but they let every state set their own definition according to the current population that, um, of children that are in foster care. So in Alabama right now, um, in order for a child to fall into that group, they have to meet one of the following three criteria. They have to be five or older, they have to be part of a sibling group being adopted together, or they have to have a specific physical or mental disability that will require a higher level of care. They don't have to meet all three, but they have to meet at least one. Yeah, that's great clarification. That's good. Any other questions? I'm not getting any through here, so, but yes. Let me get, well, I'll just repeat it. That's fine. What's a home study? We're recording this. That's why. What's a home study? Yeah, so that's another great question. A home study um, is really, we, 
it's a chance for you and a master's level social worker um, to kind of capture your family and put it on paper. It's a partnership. Um, it's it's a document. It's a file. Um, it's a lot of things. Um, in APIC, we start um, the home study simultaneously, usually with the training. Um, we do at least two home visits. We ever we interview everybody that lives in the home, both together and separately. Um, we're going to do a safety walkthrough, but that's the least important part. Um, it's a chance to share a lot of information and to really um, move forward in examining your own motivations, your own trauma past and how that will intersect with being a foster or adoptive parent. Um, we, we do talk about your relationships, we talk about um, your family dynamics, your finances. It's just a really comprehensive um, way of capturing um, you guys as a family, explaining why you're going to be a good resource family, what makes you the best, what are the areas um, that you plan to grow in, um, and then we, in APAC, we package that up and send it to state DHR, and they read it and then a preview as a family, and the, the important thing to know about home studies is that's how social workers make matches to children, so if you are interested in a child, the first thing that that child social worker is going to do is want to read your home study and see if you can parent that child's needs and if you would be a good match. Okay. And same, like, do you get the... I think we, we do home studies on foster families and um, foster to adopt families, and it's pretty much the same thing. I just tell people that it's a way for us to get in your business because we really do. They really um, do. We really. <laughs> I mean, I went into it really naive. We both <laughs> did. Just They wanted to do, write down your past history, how your parents parented you, marriage, stuff that you got going on, and I was not prepared I guess for everything. Well, I it mean, sounds like a good mission. All the fields. I mean, right it really there. is. They really, they really, it's a lot of soul searching and self-examination. And I think that's really something I wasn't expecting, but I was very grateful for. And another word on the medically fragile, you know, don't, don't let medically fragile scare you. You know, there's, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different levels of what medically fragile means. Eli, our, our middle son that we adopted through foster care, is considered medically fragile. When, when we picked him up from the NICU at 10 weeks old he, and brought him home, his room sounded like an ER. Or it sounded like Darth Vader was in there because they had an oxygen generator. So he was on oxygen 24-7. He had a heart rate and apnea monitor. Um, and he was on all this stuff for like seven months. You know, and, you know, as he got older, we found out, you know, there were, there were, you know, some more issues. You know, he's got real mild cerebral palsy, which if you didn't even know that, you probably would never guess it with how active he is. Um, but, but don't let the medically fragile, you know, terminology scare you. Um, it's a lot of times it can be minor and, you know, it's just, no, it's great. All right, I have another question here. Um, do you do 100% closed adoptions where there is complete disconnect between the biological and adoptive parents? Um, so this is my absolute favorite thing to talk about. Um, technically, adoptions in Alabama are, uh, foster care adoptions are closed adoptions. But these children do not come in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Um, they have relationships not only with their birth mom and dad, but with their siblings, with their grandparents, 
with their cousins, with their Sunday school teachers, with, um, with even their communities, you know, with the schools that they went to. So our philosophy at APAC is regardless of what the circumstances were for a child to come into care, none of that was that child's fault. And that child deserves whatever level of relationship, contact, access is safe and healthy for that child to everybody that that child loves. And when it's not safe and healthy, we have to help each other make those decisions. Um, but what, what we know emotionally in our staff and what, again, research shows is that when children are able to relate um, to their family of origin in a healthy way, um, they, are, they have better outcomes, not just safety, but um, emotionally, academically, all of those things. Um, so the legal answer is yes, it's a closed adoption. Um, the reality answer is no, it is not. Yeah. And I think there's got to be, I'm, I'm going to speak as a pastor, um, a trust factor. If, if we're trying to control the situation, you're not going to be able to control it. Um, so I, I think that's a legitimate fear. But if there's, there's got to be a level, I think, of trust that God is going to work things out for his, his glory and for their good. And so if that means contact or more messy situations, like I'm assuming it, it's going to get messy sometimes, um, but that level of, of trust in the Father, that he cares for that child more than you do, that, that God, as much as you might care, that God cares for them intimately. And so a trust and, and having other people to help you in that process and that struggle and community alongside. So, And Joel, yeah. can, I, can I just add to that? I want to say, you know, everything is on a spectrum. So that doesn't mean you're right. inviting families over for Thanksgiving dinner. If that's right. what's safe and healthy, great. Yeah. But that could just mean being yeah. the safe place to talk about birth mom and dad so that yeah. there's not that conflict of loyalty mm -hmm. and, and being torn between adoptive mom yeah. and birth mom. That's good. Yeah, I had to kind of keep telling myself throughout the process, especially with Eli, you know, um, his family's from Athens, so we run into him at the store and... Um, I had to keep trying to remind myself, um, instead of looking at it like, who does this child belong to? Who belongs to this child? And that yeah. I tell Eli all the time, he's getting to the age where he's starting to understand, you know, he has a full biological brother um, that lives in Limestone County. And shame on me if it is a healthy relationship. And I don't encourage that. Um, it's just been nothing but a blessing. I mean, it is messy on a lot of levels. And there's a lot of insecurity, too. Um, mm -hmm. We invited his birth mother to go see one of his baseball games. And I had to come apart <laughs> all the way to the all the way to the game. I was a hot mess, crying, <laughs> thinking he's going to see her. She's going to be beautiful, and he's going to want to move with her. And it's going to just, my flesh, just screaming like crazy. And then I meet her, and she had the same anxieties. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has been an unexpected blessing to us, I think, too, just birth families it's messy and it's beautiful all at the same time yeah. and that's honest struggle i think that's good that's, that's great you got me crying up here um can't read this <laughs> do you discourage adult former foster children who have experienced trauma to now foster or adopt so i guess does that question make sense so adult children who were fostered and experienced trauma um no absolutely not and just thinking about it um just as not as a social worker but as a person they have a special kind of experience that they can offer to the children that you know someone that has not experienced the system or experienced a neglect or trauma that they can offer to them 
Um, so absolutely, we of course in the home study and just gathering the information, we'll just look at things that could poss possibly be triggers or anything that may be negative and may impact that adult foster child. And we may try to circumvent that, just try to make the best match. But I think that's just absolutely wonderful. Bring it on. I'll, yeah, I'm cool. Sorry. No, that's good. That's good. We love it. All right. So I got a couple more questions, but I'm going to push these to the back table. So I'm going to pray for us real quick. I do encourage you to stop at the table, stop at the heart gallery out back. Um, I'm going to pray for us while I do that. You guys can welcome to head down there and um, start getting set up behind the tables. Um, so let's pray, and we'll go from there. Yeah, y'all can give them a hand and clap. Thank you so much. Yeah. I do want to definitely reiterate our thanks to the organizations and people that were here to help us um, in this. And so you know from a, our perspective, this is also an ongoing relationship that we want to continue to foster and develop. We don't want this to be an event or a meeting. Rather, we want to see relationships develop out of that. So continue to have conversations with us. If you're not getting information you want to get, help us in that communication and finding ways to communicate to you all. Um, if you are thinking about taking the class, like let us know so we can encourage others and so people will know they're not alone. That's just helpful for us um, in that journey. So let's pray, and uh, you guys can be free to go and talk at the tables if you'd like. Father, you're good. Uh, we thank you that you care for the orphan, uh, for the fatherless, for um, those that are without fathers and mothers, at least currently, who are able to care for them in their lives, whether that be foster children, children who are in need um, of forever families. Um, God, we thank you that when we were without a family, that you did not leave us. Um, you did not see us and turn aside, but rather um, you ran toward us, and you did not reluctantly let us in your family. You didn't say, um, only if you're clean enough or you meet my criteria, if you don't have enough baggage, um, but rather you welcomed us in with open arms. You received us into your kingdom, and you threw a party to celebrate that we were home and that we were there for good and that you will not lose any of those children that you have brought into your family. We know that through your words. So God, thank you. Thank you for an opportunity to be engaged in tangible acts of that, that we have people here that are wrestling with. What does that mean for them and their family, that you would lead them in that, that people would not feel guilty if they're not able to foster or adopt right now, but they, they would be involved in supporting those that are, and, and those that are called, that you would strengthen them. You would give them supernatural grace to walk in obedience, to follow you boldly into this journey in spite of all the unknowns and in spite of all the questions that are lingering in their head that you would just be with them during this time, that you'd give them men and women around them who understand, who can support them, who can love them well through that, and that as a body we would be engaged, that there would be just as a result of our body being engaged, that Limestone County would be different, um, and not just Summit Crossing's body, but other churches in the area, that Limestone County would see a marked difference 10, 15, 20 years from now because there are people engaged in this issue of justice that is placed before us. And so we ask that as we know is your heart, there would be no more fatherless, there would be no more motherless, there would no be, be no ch children without parents, and ultimately this would be to point them to you as their eternal father that will never leave them, no matter how permanent it is here on this side of the new creation, God, that ultimately all of our parenting endeavors are to simply bring our children to know you as their heavenly, earthly father. That is our heart. And so in that light, we're all temporary parents, pointing them to a greater reality. And so we ask that you would love well, you would teach us to love well. We love you. Thank you for this night. Amen. You guys feel free to go back and talk. Thank you all for coming.